You know, God told Moses, he said, I want you to tell everybody and your kids and their kids and so on what I've done in Egypt so that they might know who this God is. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. Today we are in Exodus chapter 10. As we study the scripture today, we're going to study that, the first 11 verses, in about three minutes time. It's very, very interesting. So stay there. Corey? Well, today I'm going to be taking a look at the Exodus event in and of itself and what evidences we have that it was a historical event in the first place. Ryan? Today, Professor Steve Taylor is my guest as I talk to him about the biblical versus the secular view regarding dinosaurs. Yeah, this is really something I just, I love this. All of these interviews are great. Um, anyway, go ahead, Jen. Well, here we are. It's Friday again. Get ready for our Friday wrap-up question of the week, anywhere from Genesis 38 through Exodus chapter 10. Exodus 10, 1 through 11. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh. For I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters. With our flocks and our herds we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. It is the beginning of change, and we need to focus on this because the change has been very difficult. As we 
do that, let's consider the fact that we are in Exodus chapter 10. That becomes very, very important. And Exodus is a book that means exit, or it means coming out of. And that's exactly what God is doing. The eighth time that Moses confronts Pharaoh with God's message is to let his people go. We begin to see the changes of Pharaoh's hardness of heart because of the power of God. Pharaoh's magicians cannot duplicate the miracles of God anymore. Well, they insist that Pharaoh listen to Moses and let the people go. Now, it's interesting that God told Pharaoh to let his people go. God wanted all his people to leave Egypt. Pharaoh was willing to let the men go and worship God, but he did not want all the people to leave. Pharaoh wanted a compromise that would allow him to maintain control over the Israelites. It was a control issue. But God would not bend on his call and command to Pharaoh. Now, when we try to do God's will our way, or halfway, we get into a lot of trouble. When we commit ourselves wholeheartedly to God, we succeed. <laughs> so we compare ourselves to Pharaoh and we've got some issues to deal with. Now, if you don't have a Bible guide, I encourage you to get a hold of yours. Um, write to us or call us. Very important. And let me just say that uh, you can also go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com or BibleDiscoveryGuide.com and get your Bible guide online just like we printed. But let me say it also costs us money to send it to you. We'll send it to you free, but we, we can't keep doing that. We've got, to, we've got to pray that God helps us to maintain because we don't have a line of credit or anything like that. So we're just a simple ministry here. That's all it is. Uh, but anyway, so keep that in mind. Today, we focus on the 10th chapter of Exodus. Father, help us today as we look into this. We're going to focus on you and help us to see the intricacies of Pharaoh and the difficulty he has and we have of understanding exactly what it is that he did wrong. Help us to apply that to our lives, not to read into it and say, well, Pharaoh, 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 help us to see myself. Help me, Lord, to see Rod Hembry, myself. Help the people to see themselves. In Jesus' name, and we said together, amen. With that in mind, we go to the scripture, which reads like this, chapter 10. Now, the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine, these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs, my signs, God says, which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Now, this is important to remember. Keep this in mind. God told Moses to tell what he had done in Egypt to his sons and his grandsons. You see, now listen carefully. I want you to listen. Parents are obligated to teach their children about the Lord. Parents are obligated to teach their children about the Bible. Parents are obligated to teach their children about the Lord. 
It's not just a youth pastor. He's just a support. Parents, single mom, single dad, doesn't matter. Parents are obligated. Now, this is said several ways in the Bible. It's said in the New Testament as well. But it's said several ways in the Bible. And each time we get a chance, we'll talk about it. This is one of those times. So, beloved, we need to learn the Bible. We need to understand it. We need to teach our children what God says. Holy Spirit, help us today to teach our kids in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's go back to the scripture. Verse 3 says, So, Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if I refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts on your territory, God says. And they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you, from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of your servants, and the houses of all of the Egyptians, which neither you nor your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. The locust plague was deadly. God continues his trouble on those who do not fulfill his work. Beloved, listen carefully. God continues. If we don't do things God's way, God's way, things get rough. You know, everybody wants to do things their own way, the right wing, the left wing way. No, we have to do it God's way if we're going to survive. If we're not going to repeat history, if we're not going to get into another mess like we're in now. Very important. All right. Well, Pharaoh didn't do it, and he got himself into a big mess. Anyway, let's go on. It says in verse 7, this is very important. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron, they were brought Again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God, who are the, the ones that are going. He asked the question, and Moses said, Well, we will go with our young, and we'll go with our old, and our sons and our daughters, and with our flocks, and our herds we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. And then when he said this to them, The Lord had better be with you, and I will let you and your little ones go, but beware evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, for you are men, and serve the Lord. Now listen, for that is what you desire. And they were driven out from the Pharaoh's presence. Do you see how hard Pharaoh is getting here? Pharaoh attempted to yield to God halfway. Beloved, there is only one way to yield to the Lord, and that is completely. We must yield to God completely. It's time to come to the Lord completely below. Now, Pharaoh didn't do that. And you know what the end result was? He not only went through the nine plagues, but he lost the firstborn. I tell you, I, I don't want to yield to God part way. I want to yield to God totally. And, and I would say this, it's, you know, because we're all, 
about free will and all that. So we're going to do our own thing. I'm not God, frankly, and neither are you. We're not God. So we have to yield to the one true superior God, which is Jesus Christ, God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. Beloved, let's yield to him. Father, today we yield to you through the power of Jesus Christ. Help us now in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said together, amen. Now, from a biblical perspective, why do you think God made humans and apes look similar? Well, the same thing, same reason I think that there are similarities right through all living things, and that is we see a continuum, if you like, which speaks to us of one creator. If we're entirely different to every living, other living thing on earth, we have entirely different chemistry, entirely different everything, then we might think there's different creators. All right, the Exodus. Was it a historical event? And if it was a historical event, which is the position that I take, what kind of evidence should we expect to find in history based off of what the Bible tells us actually happened? Not based on what Hollywood movies told us happened or maybe even Christian culture tells us happened, but what does the Bible say the Exodus event comprised of? And then based on that, what should we expect to find? Take a look. The Israelite exodus from Egypt is one of the most controversial events that the Bible claims as history. Its very nature, however, means that the kind of corroborating evidence that we would expect to find for it would be itself different in nature than many other events. Not only is the claimed exodus event very ancient, but it involves a defeat and humiliation of Egypt, which is not the kind of thing we should expect to find carved on the victory monuments of the pharaohs. Beyond this, the Israelites lived nomadic lives in the wilderness for 40 years. A people group moving around does not leave the kind of material evidence that a sedentary culture does. So when establishing the historicity of the Exodus, several lines of evidence must be considered to build a case. A key line of evidence involves the importance of the Exodus as an establishing event. The entire culture of Israel revolved around it. Yearly festivals were observed because of it. Events were dated from the year of the Exodus. Even the very justification for following the law of God was that God had rescued them from Egypt. The Old Testament has well over a hundred references back to the Exodus event. Not only does the Bible tell us that it happened, but the resulting culture of Israel also points back to the Exodus as its foundational event. Another line of evidence examines the biblical account of Israel in Egypt to see if it fits what's known about Egypt of that time, or if it reflects a later or spurious reconstruction. Could the Exodus account plausibly reflect actual conditions in those areas and cultures? Turns out, yes, the biblical Exodus account contains timely Egyptian loanwords, accurately describes a new kingdom setting and beliefs. On top of this, there's archaeological and literary proof of Semitic slaves in Egypt. Along with surviving slave names, the city of Averis has been excavated, which would later be known as Ramesses. It was a Semitic city that was abandoned sometime after the reign of Amenhotep II, a candidate for the Exodus pharaoh. The Book of Deuteronomy was written in the style of a Hittite suzerain vassal treaty, meaning that the law itself was organized into a style from that period. 
Another line of evidence appeals to Egyptian parallels of the Exodus event. Though this area of research is highly debated, there are texts like the Admonitions of Ippur that record the sorrow of an Egyptian official over plagues afflicting Egypt. And there may be Egyptian parallels to the I Am name of God revealed to Moses in Exodus 3. Final lines of evidence have to do with Israel's emergence in Canaan. Israel left some distinctive marks on the landscape of Canaan that appear during the biblical time of the Judges. Their existence on the archaeological record demonstrates that they did come from somewhere, and Egyptian documents themselves, like the Merneptah Stella, places an established Israel in Canaan by the 12th century. So I hope you can see that there's actually a really good circumstantial case for the Exodus as a historical event. Now, I think there's even, even more than what I just talked about here, but on a very basic level, there's a good circumstantial case. That means the evidence surrounding the actual event of the Exodus. I mean, of course, there's not a smoking gun of an Egyptian Stella saying Moses was here and the 10 plagues were here, but there's some really good roundabout evidence. It really is interesting when you begin to study it from a historical point of view and look at it that way too. So it's fascinating. Fascinating. Ryan. Yes. Well, on yesterday's program, Professor Steve Taylor of the University of Liverpool helped us to distinguish between the biblical versus the secular view of dinosaurs. Now, the two origin stories could not be more different. In other words, one of these origin stories is wrong. And so as a follow-up to yesterday, I asked Professor Taylor if the real-world facts support the biblical account of dinosaurs, or if they support the secular, that is the evolutionary account. So the evidence then, where, where would the evidence lie? Would it lie with the Bible or would it lie okay. with evolution? So let's just bring a bit of science in here. Not that we have to, to support, to, to believe the Bible. We can believe it as it stands. But actually, the, where I'm working at the moment, I, I'm looking at uh, old bones archaeologically uh, and paleontologically. So I'm looking at the fossilized and, and the, the non-fossilized bones. And if the Bible were true, you would expect to find that these bones haven't completely fossilized, would be datable as younger, or pre-million of years, pre-millions of years by carbon-14, and you'd expect to find some remains there of skin and collagen and so on. You do. But if the old Earth paradigm were correct, you could not find any carbon, radioactive carbon in those bones if they were millions of years old. You could not find any collagen, and you certainly could not find any DNA. And we do. And it's not just been done by creation scientists. There's over a hundred papers now in the literature from scientists around the world, having found dinosaur bones from around the world, and remains right the way through the column. I'll come back to that point in a minute all confirming the biblical picture that these were laid down at the same time by that same mass extinction event, the flood. And so it's an exciting time to be a Christian and a researcher in this area because it's showing actually that there is scientific confirmation for what the Bible has said all along. And actually it fits, it fits the, what we see much better than trying to work out how these things could have persisted through millions or even hundreds of millions of years. Now, we always hear in the news about evolution, you know, dinosaurs evolved into birds. Is there any evidence for that? No, but there's evidence against, um, because you find dinosaurs and birds in the same 
uh, rock layer. And uh, again, it's one of these, and of course the evolutionist community, although most of them would say that, there's notable big names in that, in that area who would deny this. So the scientific world is not united on that, on that belief at all. So uh, mm, yeah, it's, uh, they're very distinct. I mean, you know, you've got a dinosaur, um, you know, the, 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 the avian lung, you know, how birds breathe, is a major challenge um, for, for, for anyone trying to explain how birds evolved from dinosaurs. Really. Now, if you'd like to see the rest of my interview with Professor Taylor, then it is available on this set called The World by Design 3, along with seven other interviews. You can call, write in, or go online to BibleDiscoveryTV.com to order it. It's available as a DVD set or as a digital download for a suggested donation of $60. And I also really want to encourage you to follow Professor Steve Taylor. You can find a lot of his work on creation.com. And I really want to thank him for giving up his time to sit down and to talk with me. And also, just on a personal note, even though he's very, very knowledgeable and he holds multiple degrees, he's such an unassuming and such a friendly person. And I really hope to have him on the program again in the future. Yeah, he, he was very friendly and uh, it was just very interesting. Now, just briefly, your digital downloads are mm -hmm. where you can go on, make your uh, donation and then uh, download it. That's right. Yeah, you can download it immediately. That's the upside. You can. It's just an immediate download. The downside is the DVD set has bonus features, bonus segments that I've thrown on there. Uh, you don't get that on the digital download. So, so if, to have the DVDs is good because of that. It yeah, also makes a very nice gift. It yeah. does, yeah. It's a great apologetic tool, you know, if you have unbelieving friends or uh, whatever, right? It's, it's just, it's a good resource to have. Yeah, that's very, very good. Excellent. Now, Corey, tell everybody what you and your husband do on the weekend. Sure, we do the weekend show. Uh, we release it on my YouTube channel. It's really our YouTube channel, but it's just my name, Corey Babechko. And uh, so on the weekend show, we limit ourselves to the Bible reading that we've done throughout the week here on Bible Discovery, Monday to Sunday. Uh, and we talk about big issues that we don't have time to talk about here on the daily show. And we also answer viewer questions over there. And we discuss your comments as well. We're active in the comment section on those YouTube videos. Uh, so it's a really nice time of interaction and it's much more relaxed. You can watch it anytime on the weekend. So yeah, that's what we do. I really like it. It's very good. It's also on the podcast stuff. So uh, Spotify, yeah. iHeartRadio and the rest of it. Uh, it's on the phones, uh, so you can get it that way too. Uh, but it's important to remember, I just need to tell everybody that we are on Rumble as well. Now, you've seen some of those little breaks that we're doing with we're mentioning Rumble. Rumble is a new, well, for us it's new, but uh, it, we've had it for about six months and we haven't really promoted it last year. We were just seeing if people liked it and they, they liked it because we didn't promote it and a lot of people came. So if you want to check us out on Rumble, you can do so. So uh, rumble.com, go there and look for Bible Discovery TV. You'll find us. We're there. Okay. Now, we have this question. Mm -hmm. So the chief supreme commander of the questions is Jan. <laughs> oh, dear. So, what an introduction. That's wow. an important title. That, that there is you a go. very important Not title. arbitrary, very important. <laughs> well, there you are. There you go. Well, we have such a wonderful team of people that um, follow along. And on Fridays, it's quite a great group. And uh, it's a lot of fun to meet with you or to read in your letters, you know, how many 
questions you've got right and and how much you've learned and how much to grow. It's um, taught some people, I've learned this, that it's taught some of you to slow down in your reading because as they're reading, sometimes they'll get to the end of the chapter and they'll ask themselves now, I wonder if Janice is going to ask this as a question. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. It helps us to really slow down and appreciate what we're reading. So Having said all that, I'm going to put Ryan and Corey on the spot. They're going to have to answer, and you can answer at home. Now, you can have your Bible available to you as I ask this question, but Ryan and Corey are not allowed to, and Rod is also not allowed to give any kind of signals. No nodding, no blinking of the eyes, no nothing. You have to sit very quietly. Yes, you do. Because of many of you. Mm -hmm. They do not. They want to get the answer themselves. All right. So this was anywhere from Genesis 38 through to Exodus 10. Lots and lots of things. According to Egyptian embalming procedures, how many days were required to embalm Joseph's father, Israel? 40 days. 70 days, or 90 days. According to Egyptian embalming procedures, how many days were required to embalm Joseph's father, Israel? 40, Mm. 70, 90. Well, you were talking about this between takes, Mm. and we were paying attention. We were. (laughs) And so... We think it's 40. Yeah. For the actual embalming, 40. 40 yeah. days. I was going to say, you gave it up when you talked about Genesis that. Genesis 50, verses 2 and 3. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. 40 days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. Mm-hmm. See, I put the two of those in yeah. there just yeah. to see the if s- you were paying attention. So the, the official mourning was 70 days, yes. but yeah. the actual preparation. A month the, beyond, yeah. yeah that's right. For embalming was 40 days. 40. Mm-hmm. So, so that's interesting. Good. Israel, the man who became the nation, was embalmed by Egyptians. Mm -hmm. And that is absolutely fast. There's a whole study there. And that's a fascinating story. Imagine that entourage coming into the land of Canaan Mm -hmm. with all of the Egyptians coming and And the chariots and everything. Well, of course you would. Yeah, that's right. So there you go. All right, let's read on and we'll see you on Monday. I want you to remember that Spotify and also the iHeartRadio app uh, or place gives you the podcast that you are watching now or the program you're watching on a podcast, audio or video. So I would encourage you to go there and check it out. Check out Bible Discovery in that place. Now let's pray. Father, I pray today, I need to yield to you. Help me to do that right now and help me to understand that I follow you. I don't lead you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.